0: can open up to Matthew chapter 28. We're looking at the Great Commission again. Last week, we began this series called Make Disciples, focusing on the Great Commission. We started with, uh, with the sermon, Every Christian's Commission, last week, where it's every individual is responsible to fulfill the Great Commission. And so, we, that's where we began, and today we go to Every Church's Commission specifically every local church's commission. So what I want to do today is how does the Great Commission apply to the church? And then how does the church apply the Great Commission? So that's what we're doing today. And before we go any further, let's pray again and pray that God would speak to us this morning. Father, we ask you to speak into our hearts to motivate us to accomplish your will. You've given us a purpose, and you've given us a way to go out and accomplish that purpose. And so I pray that we would be solely focused on your will in our lives, in this church and in this world. Lord, as we consider the scripture and its impact in our lives and in this church, I pray that you would um, not let us escape it, not let us become apathetic towards it, but love it and move in it. Use my words to speak, um, protect me from error, open our ears to hear, in Christ's name, amen. So do you know what God's purpose for the church is? Why do we do this every week? So God's purpose for the church is not so that we can have weekly worship services, and it is not so that we can serve the needs of the community, and it is not so that we can send missionaries to distant lands, and it is not prayer meetings, and it is not loving one another, and it is not even the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Of course, these things are important. These things are critical to accomplish the purpose which God has given us but they are not the purpose. So what is it? What is the goal of the church? The vision of the church? The purpose of the church? Why has God done all of this? Well, the purpose of the church is woven into the purpose of humanity. And of course, for that, we must go to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God's purpose for humanity is to image himself, is to look like him, is to represent him here on this earth. He tells, he he creates man and woman to image him. And then he tells man and woman to go out and how they are supposed to image him. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So that's how they're supposed to go out and image God. The way they accomplish that imaging. So you could summarize it like this. The vision statement for humanity is to vision God on earth. The mission statement for humanity is to spread that influence. To multiply. To fill the earth. To rule it. So God could have said to Adam and Eve. You are filled with me. Now, go fill the earth with that fullness. Again, you are filled with me. Now go and fill the earth with that fullness. But of course, that's not exactly how the story went, or it's not how it played out. For two chapters later, Humanity abandons this vision and this mission and they enter into their own wickedness and they eat from that cursed tree. And so it was, it was for this, it was for this that Jesus Christ died to restore humanity to his image and set them back on the course of fulfilling the mission. The father sent the son to the cross so that God's image could be restored to, hu- to a people once fallen. A people called the church. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's a lot of really heavy theology in that one little verse. But wherever you land on the spectrum of theological understanding, you can't deny that God had always planned to conform a people to the image of his son. God had always planned to conform a people to the image of his son from eternity past. And that people, that people is called the church. That is us. We are being conformed into the image of his son. Now, the image of a son, if we remember from Hebrews, it says that Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. The son perfectly images the father. In Jesus, we have the most perfect, most exact representation and imaging of God. And so as we, rep, as we image Christ, we image God. And God's image is restored in us. We, the church, are to be filled with the fullness of Christ. And then to go into the earth and fill it with that same fullness. So here's a couple of verses that are... That are astounding. Um, Paul is praying for this. He knows that it's a challenge, an impossibility even, and so he has to, he pleads to God that this would happen, and he prays in Ephesians 3.19, that the church may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love that. There is no measure of God that is not filling us. All the fullness of God. Ephesians 4.13, and he's talking about the purpose of the church. And he declares, the church is to attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The church is to attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the church image is her Redeemer, filled up with the fullness of Christ, and then just as God sends out man and woman to multiply and fill the earth, so he sends out the church, and that brings us right to the Great Commission. And here, let's read it together. Uh, You should already have your Bibles open to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here the mission for humanity. Now the church's mission in this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the goal of Christ's church, the vision statement, you could say, is to be filled with the fullness of Christ. Christ. The church's mission statement, then, is the Great Commission. Every local church must commit themselves to the fulfillment of the Great Commission in order to fill their church and fill the whole earth with the fullness of God. It happens first here in the church and goes out into the world. So last year or last week we did a little reviewing of Emmanuel's history because Emmanuel's been at this work for 130 some years. 130 years exactly, maybe. Um, but it was only a few years ago that Emmanuel was on the verge of shutting its doors, nearly unable to continue with this God-given commission. But I thank God that in 2015 the leadership of Emmanuel recognizing the dire situation, hired a consultation team to come and find out what the systemic problems were of Emmanuel and then see if there was a way to rectify those problems. And so in June of 2015, after interviewing and researching and all kinds of work, the consultation delivers its report. And it came with this major indictment. Spiritual Emmanuel's affliction, primary affliction is this spiritual disobedience. The congregation is disobeying Jesus Christ by not doing the Great Commission. It is also known for its years of gossiping, complaining, undermining leaders, and other sins of the tongue. How sad it is when a church, the body and the bride of Christ, is marked by a failure to obey Jesus. I praise God that on September 30th, 2015, this body of believers repented, corporately repented and prayed and cry out to God to forgive them and motivate them to fulfill the Great Commission, to no longer be marked by spiritual disobedience. They began to refocus refocus on the Great Commission. And since that day in 2015 by the grace of God Emmanuel has done a lot of healing and a lot of growing and a lot of changing but as amazing as all of that has been and those who have been here since 2015 you've seen it all I've seen some of it for the past two and a half years as amazing as it's all been, if we do not continually make the Great Commission our primary mission in this church, we are going to go right back to where Emmanuel was. We're going to go right back into that sin. We're going to be marked with spiritual discipline. Let this place never be marked again by that. Let this place be marked by a church who fulfills the Great Commission, that makes disciples. You, if you remember from last week, The very center of the Great Commission, the most important piece of the Great Commission is to make disciples. And the two most general ways of making disciples is through evangelism and through discipleship. With evangelism, we call people to follow Jesus Christ. With discipleship, we teach people how to better follow Jesus Christ. In both, we are making disciples, evangelism and discipleship. So therefore, this church and every church needs to seek ways to make new disciples and more mature, fruit-bearing disciples. So that's our mission. That's how we are looking to generally fulfill the Great Commission. But that's generalities. How do we do this practically? How does the local church and the church universal apply the Great Commission? There are four ways I want to highlight today. The four ways that we apply the Great Commission in these walls. First is through the administration of the Word. The second is through leadership, leadership. The third is through the ordinances. And the fourth is through loving one another. So we're going to go through these four one at a time and see how the Great Commission is fulfilled in these four areas. The first, the administration of the Word, is The most important way to fulfill the Great Commission. If there isn't this, there's no mission, there's no purpose, we're empty. The proclamation of the word is the most important way to fulfill the Great Commission. Nothing is as important or as effective in making disciples. Disciples. It's through the scriptures that we know our God. It's through the scriptures that we rightly know ourselves. And it's through the scriptures that we know how to image Christ in this world. So we need them to be at the center of everything. So regarding evangelism, the proclamation of the word is how we summon people to follow Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.2 Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, of course, the Answer is, we receive the Spirit because we heard in faith. We heard the Word. We heard the Scripture in faith and received the Spirit. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. It is the proclamation of the Word that summons people to come follow Jesus Christ. God's Word, the Bible, makes disciples. And it is the Bible... That increases faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. So faith comes initially. Through the word of Christ. And faith continues to grow. Through the word of Christ. Makes us into more mature. More Christ like. More fruit bearing disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 15.3. Already you are clean. Because of the word. I have spoken to you. Christ's word cleanses us. John 8.31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abiding in Christ's word is ongoing, every day, every moment, ongoing, abiding in his word, staying in his word, resting, depending on his word, constantly returning to it, bathing in it. Christ's word is cleansing, and so we seek to wash each other in the church continually, with the word of Christ. So the church makes disciples through washing each other in the Word. The Church does this corporately, like right now, and the Church does this interpersonally, and we'll talk about that later. Hebrews three, sixteen and seventeen, so important. All scripture Is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So can you see how making disciples and the word of God are so intrinsically linked? The Bible is and will always be at the center of Emmanuel and all that we do. For it is through the word that we summon people to follow Jesus. And it is through the word that we learn how to better follow Jesus. Like I said, the administration of the word is the church's most important and most effective way of making disciples. And in fact, Paul says that, the church, that God gave the church certain gifts specifically to accomplish that goal. Ephesians 4, 11, and 13, 11 through 13. Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to, the, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Unity of faith as it says here unity of faith Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So unity of faith comes by hearing the word of Christ knowledge of the son of God. How do we get knowledge of the son of God except through the scriptures? And so God Christ gives spiritual leaders to administer the word and to lead from scriptures To ground the congregation, to equip the saints in the word of Christ. So I'm not going to touch on apostles and prophets today. We'll leave that for another Sunday. But Jesus has given the pastors and the elders, which is another term for the shepherds. He has given the teachers and he has given the evangelists as a gift to the church. To wash the church with his word. And these individuals, individuals are making disciples through the ministry of a proclaiming and applying and living out the word of Christ. And then with the word at the center of their leadership, the church is to follow the example of their lives. So it's a little uncomfortable for me to talk about being a gift from God to you. Um, but that's what the Bible tells me. And so I will believe that, but the reality is you're a gift to God, from God to me, and you're all a gift to one another. But my purpose and the elder's purpose and the teacher's purpose as a gift to you from Christ is to equip you and raise you up in the word of God. So as your pastor, that's my primary, primary job. That's what I have devoted my life to, to make disciples through the proclamation and application of the word of Christ. It's my role in this church as it is for every shepherd and teacher and evangelist and apostle and prophet. So in addition to leaders, Christ has given more gifts to the church, ordinances, ordinances ordinances for the church to enact to dramatize these two ordinances they take scripture and they mean to bring it to life they are many gospel dramas these ordinances and i want to see i want you to see how each one is uh, making disciples is at the center of each one of the ordinances and the first one is baptism which we find in the great commission so look again at the passage in verse 19 Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When a non-disciple becomes a disciple, they announce this change through baptism. Baptism signifies that this one lost sheep, once out there on his own in the wild, has come into Christ's sheepfold. This one has become a part of the many. Baptism should never be about one individual baptizing another individual. It is always about an entry into God's people, adjoining with the church. And so when a person is baptized, they are baptized into the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Again, baptism declares that the one has joined with the many. They have entered the church. The second ordinance is communion. Communion reminds the church of the great cost of their redemption. Communion reminds us that Christ's love looks like a broken body and a bloody cross. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:26 that every time we take communion we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So communion is about our ongoing submission and obedience to Christ, to our savior who loved us and gave himself for us. And communion reminds us, the many, that we are one in Jesus Christ, our Lord and savior. So 1 Corinthians 10:17 Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake in the one bread. Baptism says that the one has joined the many. Communion communion says that the many are one. What beautiful symmetry Christ has given to us. He's made them a reality for us. Baptism and communion are about making disciples, whether that is the first step of obedience in a disciple's life, baptism, or the ongoing obedience of a disciple, which we see in communion. Disciple-making and the ordinances are linked forever. But God's not gifted everybody to serve in church leadership, and we do not practice the, the ordinances every day. But there is another way uh, that we make disciples in the church, that we apply the Great Commission in the church, and that is through loving one another. Loving one another, we can practice this every day, in every situation, in all of our lives. Love for one another, specifically within the church, is a primary measure of a disciple of Jesus Christ. As Jesus said himself, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus said that their love for one another and therefore our love for one another identifies us as his disciples. So we in the church, we work to love one another And to help each other love one another. So you're responsible to love one another and you're responsible to help each other love one another. As we saw in Galatians 6-2 a few months ago, we look to carry one another's burdens. Or in other, other words, we help each other follow Jesus Christ. We disciple one another. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about loving one another because... In a couple weeks, I'm going to be preaching on how to disciple each other. We'll spend a lot more time there. And if you like, you can go back to the sermons from Galatians and listen to Bearing One Another's Burdens, which was in the sermon Test Your Work on November 10th. You can see that on the church website. Or you can listen to all of the sermons about the fruit of the Spirit, which dive really deep into loving one another. So, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there, but I do want to make a distinction. And it's a distinction that I've only recently seen. I failed to see it before. I wish I had seen it before. It's a really helpful distinction. Last week, I I was talking about in loving one another, we're responsible for each other. And so if there's a person over here struggling in some way in their spiritual walk or in any other capacity, really, then the people over here are responsible for that person to carry their burdens, to love them, to encourage them, to lift them up, and so on. We're responsible for each other. That's what I said last week. I was wrong. We're not responsible for one another. We are responsible to one another. That's a really important distinction, I think. I've come to believe. Because if I say that I'm responsible for you and my help, my teaching, my admonishment isn't received, then that's, that's my fault because I'm responsible for you. And that's simply not how Christ has designed things. Each individual is responsible ultimately for their own receiving or rejecting of help. But if I'm responsible to you, then when I see a need, I am there to come alongside you. I'm responsible to see it and come alongside you. I'm responsible to help carry the burden. If my help is rejected, if my love is scorned, if my teaching is ignored, if my rebuke is unhe- unheeded, then that's not on me. That's on you. We're responsible to each other, not for each other. Like we saw in Galatians 6, 7, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So I think John helps us see what loving one another really looks like. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another, for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So we see a need, we open our hearts to that need. That's what you're responsible to do. We are generous towards one another. We do not make assumptions, but we choose to see Christ in each other. We stand beside each other. We are even ready to deny our own rights, our own life for one another. We seek to love one another in truth and in action. And in so doing, and in loving one another like this, we are absolutely discipling one another, making disciples out of each other. And in loving one another like this, the world sees our love for each other in the context of the local church, and they are summoned to come and follow Jesus Christ. The world will know that we are his disciples. The only realistic way for this to happen is to be a part of a local church. In some regard I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you're all sitting in a local church. I'm going to say it anyway. The local church, this context is where we invest in each other's lives. It's where we see each other's needs. Loving one another only has meaning in the context of relationship and it's really hard to love strangers. Even though we be united in Christ, God has appointed the local church to be the primary vehicle of disciple-making on this earth. Therefore, your ability to fulfill the Great Commission almost entirely evaporates without the local church. In the local church, we learn to love one another. In the local church, we receive communion and celebrate baptism. In the local church, we are discipled by God-given leaders. And in the local church, we are regularly washed by the word of Christ. Through these things, the church is fulfilling the great commission. There is no normative situation in the New Testament where a disciple of Jesus Christ is not a part of a local church. To be a Christian is to enter into a local community of believers where you can learn how to be a better disciple. Jesus does not call rogues, he calls followers living in community with one another, loving one another, working together to make disciples. So the Great Commission is not a commission to individuals only. It is the church's commission, the church's mission. And individuals cannot display the fullness of God. The fullness of God is only on display as a diverse multitude of redeemed people come together to worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on Sundays and with their whole lives. And listen to this. Most amazing passage about the church from Ephesians three ten and 11. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according, according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The fullness of God and all of his wisdom is being proclaimed in heaven and on earth through the church. through us, in part. Now we must go, then, here at Emmanuel, and do all that we can to make disciples, to fulfill the Great Commission, that many more tongues would join in the worship of the church. And the church might look more like the Savior who gave his life for her. We... We don't have the Great Commission at the center of our church. We've got very little. It's our mission. So that this church and this world might be filled with all the fullness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you've given us a task that is impossible on our own. So you've given to us a church. A body of redeemed believers. You've given to us your Holy Spirit, to fill us and equip us. You've given us your Son who shed his blood for our righteousness. You've given us everything. And so I pray that we would, that you would help us to remember all that you've given us to accomplish the vision of filling this world with your fullness through the Great Commission. Motivate us, inspire us, Empower us to go out and make disciples. And in these walls, make disciples. God, may you do it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.